listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Paul. Hi, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I, as I told you, I'm a little bit groggy. Uh, didn't get quite enough sleep, mm-hmm. but I think this makes for a good discussion. We'll correct for that. Uh, we'll give you a, we'll, we'll grade on a curve and we'll hope that this, you know, you kind of, this leads you to cut loose. Maybe we'll see a, a Paul Bloom unplugged, a Paul Bloom we've never seen before. This will this will be it, but I think proper editing should uh, should repair all that. We don't edit on uh, no. this podcast, Paul. No. I have bad news for you. So, Paul, let me tell everyone who we are. I'm Robert Wright, publisher of Non-Zero Newsletter. This is a Non-Zero podcast. You're Paul Bloom, famous psychologist, writer, self-help guru, uh, and publisher of the Small Potatoes Newsletter on Substack. And I wanted to start off by asking you to bring us up to date on the controversy that has engulfed the Small Potatoes Newsletter, Paul. What's the latest? Uh, is there a certain controversy you're talking about? Okay, let about? me bring you up today, Paul. So last time we talked a few weeks ago, I pointed out, and I think I broke this story, right? I think I broke this story. That is, actually, this a, is this a rabbi? This is a rabbi. On Substack, there's actually two Small Potatoes newsletter. And granted, the other one uh, is smaller than yours because, you know, you're this big Paul Bloom Bigfoot guy. Of course, you got more followers. Uh, you got more subscribers, but... Two things about this other one. A, it's run by rabbi. I'm not sure I would have picked that fight. Then again, I'm not Paul Bloom, alpha male, you know, ready to take on God himself. But the other thing, and I didn't mention this until later in the podcast. I mean, some people mentioned it. The other thing is that this this rabbi who has a small potatoes newsletter actually grows potatoes, which brings (laughs) us which brings us to the controversy. Like you start this newsletter, you got this whole business model premised on us believing that you are some kind of expert on potatoes. And it turns out you don't, you've never grown a fucking potato. This is, this well, is like, this is like, I don't know. I, I'm, well, I don't know. What, what do you, what do you have to say for yourself? So first, let me, let me, let me step back and say that after I actually looked at the comments on our last discussion uh-huh. and they were very good. The comments in your Substack were very good. I'm used to comments being terrible and they were very thoughtful. And I'm raising this to say that that as our conversation goes in this direction, we are losing listeners right and left. People are just, I mean, no comments. Just going to say, what did I do? Okay, so first, um, uh, this is in litigation. So I, there's a limit to what I can say. I'm, okay. I'm suing okay. her and it's complicated. I'm, I'm suing her demanding that she turn her podcast into smaller potatoes. <laughs> as, as, so. That's a good idea. Um, she seems and, meek. She seems meek. It may work. We're going we're gonna to see. We're gonna see, you know. I'm gonna Elon Musk her to say tons of tons of lawyers pouncing on her. Oh, you you are often mentioned in the same sentence with Elon Musk. I've noticed yeah. increasingly. You know, my my enemies, the word pedophile and the word and, and my enemies are not never far apart in my mouth. Yeah, yeah, no, no, um, you. Uh, okay, but, but no, well, no, that, it's 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 fine. It's fine. Let every but you know, it's fine. That's the weak and small potatoes, folks. Now, what should we? Um, what should we talk about? We, we, we've talked about a few things we might talk about. In terms of newsy things, there's two. Uh, one kind of grim. Well, go ahead. What are you going to recommend? I was going to say Biden is still old. Biden is still old. So we have three topical things, plus these deep philosophical things of the kind yep. that you, you reflect on in your Small Potatoes newsletter. Um, the topical things are Biden. <laughs> this reminds me of the old Saturday night. Gig, uh, 
General Francisco Franco is still, still dead. dead. Yeah, okay. Biden is still old. Um, actually, if anything, older. Uh, there's uh, Gemini out of control. That's an obscure reference. Uh, only people of my age know that before the Apollo program, there was a Gemini program. But we're talking yep. about Google's Gemini AI uh, going according to some hyperwoke. Um, and then there's a grim subject. There was an actual uh, self-immolation in yeah. political protest at the Israeli embassy in uh, Washington. And at some point, we're going to talk about the whole question of whether we should think of people who do things like this as uh, heroes of conscience or as mentally ill or what? Or, or both. Or both. Yeah. Or neither. Um, so where should we start? Let's uh, let's let's hold back a little bit on the topical and and talk about something which I'm interested in hearing your views about, which is I did I did a, a Substack on on podcasts mm -hmm. and um, and I talked about um, about how to be a podcast guest and you, know, you can be your own judge as to whether or not I'm properly positioned to give advice on this, but talked about that. But I also talked about favorite podcasts and your podcast came up in several different context you did kindly mention my podcast yes um, both both i had favorite podcast duos and i talked about you and mickey which were which really is top of my list but I, and i also talked about some notable discussions and and the one that came to mind right away was your discussion with with russ roberts which i thought was was excellent um but but i'm curious what you i'm sure i know you listen to a lot of podcasts and i'm not so much interested in sort of specific podcasts you recommend but what do you like in a podcast that you listen to? Well, the part of your advice I would encourage people not to go overboard on is the preparation part. You encourage some amount of preparation. Preparation has its virtues. Too much preparation leads to canned answers. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, I also- but, but By the I, way, what people don't know is that you and I rehearse all of this several times before. No, this is a script. Like every time, every time I go, I did not know that. I actually <laughs> knew that. That's right. Um, that's right. The uh, but actually, so, that's one of the things that drives me craziest, and it and it is a trend. Uh, well, there's the increasingly scripted NPR uh hobby horse of mine, which just drives me crazy. So, you like spontaneity, um, yeah, and you see that on certain highly produced podcasts like the like the New York Times Daily podcast, where uh, Michael Barbero or whoever says, oh, so you're saying, and then they say something they knew hours ago, yeah. the person was saying. Um, and uh, so, which, which uh, I, so I guess I don't like too much preparation on either side of the microphone. I, I admire, you know, very conversational podcasts. I mean, the thing I like about Joe Rogan is, is that yeah. part. Uh, there are things, uh, his selection of guests sometimes is not exactly what I would have recommended, but, uh, you know, he, he, it's a true conversation he's following. He seems to be following his actual interests. Uh, and I, I, I like that. Um, at the same time, some of the most successful podcasts, you know, are cases where the questions are pretty clearly on a list. Yeah. And there's maybe modest probing of an answer before moving on to the next question, but sometimes barely even that. Um, so I think, I, of, I, I think of Tyler Cowen's podcast, which I like a lot, is an example of something where he has a, a list of incredibly detailed, subtle questions. And mm -hmm. kind of we'll just kind of go through them unless people push back. Though sometimes one of my favorite ones, which I mentioned, is when, um, when a philosopher pushed back on him 
and said, well, I don't accept the premise of your question. And it was a great discussion. Yeah. Sometimes those work well if the questions are well chosen. But but I agree with you. I like freewheeling conversations. I like ones where they turn into, into interesting arguments where there's a feeling of, it's very odd listening to a conversation, which is often what you're doing in a podcast. And and there's a high bar it has to pass. And spontaneity, I agree, is part of it. Yeah. Um, but God, there's so many podcasts now. It's overwhelming. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm interested in AI. I'm writing a book on it. And suddenly there's this whole ecosystem of AI podcasts, most of which didn't exist a year ago, uh, along a whole spectrum uh, of, you know, focus and like degree of expertise required to follow them. It's amazing. Um, and, it, and it's a real revolution of, of, of all the things I heard Jordan Peterson talk about this once. And it's one thing which I agree with, which is now we're in a world where we can go out, do things like take long walks and, and commute and do the dishes while learning a lot about something, something interesting. So podcasts and audiobooks have really come into their own in the yeah. last few years. And, and I think that they're wonderful. They are. I was an early adopter. I used to walk around with a cassette recorder listening to those. Uh, oh, the teaching company. Do you remember? The, it's still yeah, I around do. probably. I do. I do. I remember you I, You said this or you said it in, in your book, um, The Evolution of God, that you would go for long walks and you would listen to religious texts, I think. Like you yeah. listen to the Koran or well, something. Well, and uh, I, I listened. That's how I, uh, I, I listened to the whole Koran instead yeah. of reading it. Yeah, that's... That's that's interesting. That's that's something, you know. Also, having podcasts constantly in my ear keeps me from being alone with my thoughts ever. So, you know, I can. Do I you fear that, Paul? It. Do you fear that? I hadn't anticipated this conversation taking this turn, but then again, it is spontaneous. Talk about your fears, Paul, about uh, <laughs> actually confronting the true inner Paul, the Paul that uh, exploits powerless rabbis. I, you know, I. If I was ever alone with my thoughts, I'd be in a better position to tell you what I'm afraid of. And yeah. but, but I'm very careful to avoid it. So so it's like the opposite of of a meditative life. It's the opposite hmm. of a silent retreat, which is at any given point, if there's silence around me, I'll put on a podcast, put on some music, put on an audiobook. So I never have to confront my inner life. It's funny, before I set off on my first meditation retreat. In 2003, which was just like on a lark, because I'm the last person that would go to a meditation retreat or meditate, or so it seemed. My wife said, are you serious? You can't even take a shower without turning on the radio, which was true. Yeah. I had a radio in the shower. I have a, I have a speaker in the shower, because you know, God knows you, you just, you got to avoid it. I, I fall asleep to podcasts. Do you? Do you yeah. Would you like to? Are there some that are especially good for that? Um, I'm not going to say who it is, but, but I, I like deep male voices talking about boring topics. There's no shortage, but seriously, you know, both you and Sam Harris independently, and you are people who are not necessarily in, of, of, in agreement on many things have advised me to take a, a silent retreat. And I, I'm not precluding it. It probably some sort of meditative retreat for like a week. It, it is probably very good for me. And I've tried meditation seriously, but not, not, and I haven't taken to it. An you idea it terrifies you me. You haven't really tried it until you've tried it for a true. And I know, old I know. I, that, that this is what I've been told, and you know, I, I may, I may take that advice at some point, but not, not yet. So, for you, podcast spontaneity on topics that you're interested in. 
Um, I sometimes like a little bit of heat, a little bit of, of, of arguments, opposing views. Sometimes it gets ridiculous. I saw something on Israel-Palestine once I stumbled onto it on Twitter and it was just two guys yelling at each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was not productive, but, but, a, but a bit of tension is often good. When yeah, pushing, and, pushing, yeah, pushing back. And I like something. just exchange, interactive exchange. I don't like super long answers. I just drift off my mind. It's it's very rare that I can follow a long answer. Yeah, yeah. This is why I'm I'm very conscious. This is why I'm being crisp in my responses. Oh, you're nowhere near the outer limit. Don't worry. I won't yeah. name names. Do you ever? Do you ever? As you, I mean, you've done. I think you've done more more of these than anybody I, I know. You do a pretty regular schedule for many years. Do you ever, ever deal with somebody and thinking, I got, I got to cut in. I got to break this. I got to stop him somehow. It has happened. Yeah. I won't name names. Okay. Okay. Later <laughs> on, you'll, you'll, you'll name names. Um, should we move to, to topicals? Should you move to, to Gemini? Yeah, I which is, guess. Which is the, the funniest of all of the ones that we could talk about. So in case anyone missed it, of course, there was this burst of bad publicity for Google uh, about its rival to ChatGPT4, Gemini, the image generation part of Gemini. Uh, you know, people started showing like, you know, things where they say like, show me pictures of Vikings. And like, none of them were white, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and show me pictures of the founding fathers. It's like, no white males. Now, these are selected. We don't know how representative yes. they are. These are the people who decided to go on social media and complain or get attention. So we don't know. At the same time, I'm pretty sure that a majority of Vikings were white and many of them were male. Uh, so, and there was clearly an answer where all four images turned up were none of the above or were, were not both white and male for Vikings and so on. So this is some kind of issue, right? Well, I've, what's your take? I played this so immediately shut down the image generation, particularly when um when you know people said you know draw draw members of the SS and they're all black, yeah and and so when I started playing with it, they had shut down the image generation in this panic, but they include it's it's super woke in a way that that borders on performance art and comedy. So you know I said well tell me a tell me a story about a, a young scientist. And, and it was, well, you know, Annie, a young Hispanic woman. Okay, you know. But then I said, tell me a story about seven young scientists. And they're all, none of them are, are men. None of them are white. Really? And, and you do this for anything. And people have done things saying, you know, draw me a picture of a white Scottish family. And they say, that's kind of, that's kind of racist to ask that. Draw me a picture of a black Scottish family. Here you go. Yeah. And, and, um. People have talked about if you ask its opinion about books, when you ask an opinion of a sort of, uh, you know, heterodox book like uh, like John McWhorter's Woke Racism, it says, you know, well, you know, it's, it's, it's pros and cons, but you had to be careful this sort of thing and not to be controversial and so on. And there's all the things. And then you ask it about like uh, Kendi's book about anti-racism. It says, this is a wonderful book it's mm-hmm. full of brimming with good ideas and everything. Well, wait, does it really give you the reviews? Yes. Uh, you you. You, you say, what it. is your opinion of this book? Because I yeah. don't think it should, if I were Google, I wouldn't be in that business anyway. I would just say, look, if you want, if you want to hear what the differing views of this are, here they are. You ask it, here's another one I saw. And I'm sure they're frantically fixing this. And one of you say, you say, I'm a Palestinian. Could you write about what that must be like? And I said, well, you must be very proud of your, of your great community and everything and seek, you know, pleasure in your, and then I'm an Israeli. You tell me what that's like. 
well, you know, it's, it's good for you to take pride in your group, but you've got to understand you don't want to be too. And it, it, you it what? How do they every, finish that? When you, it, something like it, it, there's one paragraph saying, oh, good. But then the second paragraph is, well, you got to understand there's a lot of diversity in groups and you don't want to privilege your own group and you don't want to be racist and you don't want to be, and which would be fine. But apparently you, you could figure out the sort of, um, you know, privileged ethnic groups mm-hmm. from its standpoint, which is they go, you go, you're fantastic. Versus the non-privileged ones you're saying, don't take too much pride in your group. You know, eh, groups are mixed. Yeah. So it, it's, I, I don't know how it got past testing. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if it's some elaborate prank, but well, probably not because they're- No, I don't think it's a prank. I, I think there's three ways bias can enter, basically. In the initial selection of texts, and it sounds like this probably isn't that, but like, and this is kind of my my fear about AI becoming, you know, dominant is, uh, you know, it matters who controls it and what they think are like the foreign policy texts. Like if they choose only blob texts, yep. you know, it will not be the, the, the perspective I would like to see aired. And I've actually done experiments where, where yeah, unfortunately, uh, that's kind of the case. Um, so, you know, when I see uh, somebody like Larry Summers suddenly show up on on, on OpenAI's board as a result of the whole, uh, you know, board, uh, thwarted coup thing, um, or, well, it wasn't a thwarted coup, actually, but whatever it was, um, I, I start to worry a little because he's like, you know, pretty much straight ahead. Yeah. Uh, Blob has very strong views, very forceful personality. Now, obviously, I'm thinking pretty far ahead of the game. You know, I doubt he's influenced content. But anyway, text selection is one. Then there's uh, RLHF, reinforcement learning through human feedback, which apparently is critical because if you just uh, talked to one of these bots right after uh, text training, it it would, would not be nearly as impressive as it is in terms of conversational fluency after the round of human feedback where yeah. it generates responses and people say, I didn't like that, I did like that. Now, at that point, it matters what is the demographic of the people giving the feedback? Yeah, That's that's important. And also, what are their instructions? Are they told to dislike things that offend them? Are they, blah, blah, blah. So that's the, the second part. And then there's the prompt you don't see, you know, like, you you put in one prompt to a bot, but they've already given the bot guidance through what I think is basically the same prompt mechanism, uh, which you don't see, which is kind of general general guidance. Like it says, you know, if somebody asks you about this kind of thing, just say it's not your job to express an opinion or or whatever. So yeah. th- there's these three ways bias can enter. Um, and of course, bias can enter at any of those phases, especially the last two, by virtue of the company trying to counteract bias. And yep. the innocent explanation is kind of that that's what happened here, or at least that's some of it. Like if you're Google, you, you know, you, you've got this problem. Like if it says generate a kid roller skating or two people in a rowboat, you don't want, you don't want just yeah. white people. That's it's right. a diverse world. And then, and then the question comes: well, What if, as it happens, um, most people who roller skate are white? What what do we what do we do? That's a complicated question. And then, what if it happens that most people in rowboats uh, 
There's all kinds of people who go out fishing, but the kind who do selfies and so get pictures of themselves online are like white upscale people who are doing it recreationally. And, and so then the images online are dominated. There's all kinds of complicated questions, genuinely right. complicated questions. Uh, and, and I think that's, the innocent explanation is that that's where the problem starts, and it's not an easy problem, and there's a lot of difficult cases. I, 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 I agree. You can't be, if you just went off the data, it would be awful and disfluent, but also be very racist. You know, the, the internet is not a pretty place, and, and it, would, it would be, you know, racist and sexist in, in very overt ways. So you need those other, those other uh, stages where you rein it back and you say, no, no, you can't use those words. You should, you should try to find examples from other groups and everything. And I just think they did it a bit too much, but, but there are questions that have to be dealt with. I was playing with, um, with chat GPT a while ago and it's, it's very good at making, if you say, you know, make a good argument against citizens United, it will, but there's some things like gay marriage decisions or loving v. Virginia, it won't make arguments against it will mm -hmm. just say it's inappropriate to make arguments against. You know, I, I, maybe the solution is you have a lot of these things and you have a lot of these things available and you could get, you could use the woke one, you could use the edgelord one, you could use one that tries harder to be centrist. But, yeah. um, but whatever happened to Gemini thing is... is, is yeah, no, they is, didn't. Obviously, they made a mistake somewhere. Vikings should be white <laughs> I mean, because yeah, they're all dead they're not making any new ones and they were all white um so uh you know i i, I mean that's my view it's funny you know this goes uh well it goes way back in a couple of senses i remember about a year ago listening to an interview with the ceo of stable like fusion which is an open source yeah. image generator he was criticizing open ai for being too woke he was yeah. saying you asked him for a picture of a samurai wrestler not a samurai wrestler, a, um, su uh, you know, sumo big, wrestler. huge guys, sumo wrestlers. And you, and he said, look, you should get somebody who's Japanese and, and with open AI, which Dolly, uh, yeah. you'll, you're, you're more likely to get, you know, whatever. So that goes, uh, it goes yeah. back. And I, and I, I, I suspect if you really deeply interrogated open AI's image generation, you could probably find some embarrassing things right now. Yeah. But, and, Yukowski said something on Twitter, which seemed smart, which is, he says, we are now in a sort of weird stage where an intermediate stage where the biases are comically obvious and you could point them out and laugh at them. The next stage is when there's going to be all these subtle biases, you know, right. pro, pro blob, say, biases right. on, on how to think about COVID, how to think about politics that are a lot more subtle. And right. it's going to be like talking to a, a, a smart person who has their own biases but but if you take it as this oracle you're going to sort of say well this is how the world works and and it, it's and and the bias won't be funny or obvious and 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 that's an issue we're, we're going to rely more and more on these things and um and this and is the argument the, against concentration of power in the industry yeah that's right and for kind of open source but then there are non-crazy arguments in the other direction about how hard it is to regulate things if there's no concentration of power and if the most powerful models three, four, five years down the road are open source. So it's very complicated. Now, Gary Marcus, who you have spoken to 
uh, I think very the last, recently, the last, there's a conversation with Gary Marcus. Yes, he's he's argued that there has not been serious improvements in in these systems over the last year or so. Maybe putting aside the the video demonstrations, which are are stunningly interesting, mm-hmm. but in conversation, there may not have been much improvement. And he thinks there's, there's he suggests there may be sort of a plateau. And in some cases, a little while ago, well, different things happen. One thing is some people argue there's been a decline. In, in GPT, maybe in part because it's now using as input its own conversations mm-hmm. and, and sort of getting caught in a rabbit hole. Um, there's been cases where it's apparently gone insane for a few days. That was it, only last week, right before week. Jim and I got into trouble. It was like speaking Spanglish and stuff. <laughs> and just, it was going, it went crazy for, I don't know, an hour or two or something. Yeah. Which is, you know, all fun and games until you have it work as an air traffic controller or something like that. Or so. put it in charge of the nuclear arsenal. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So exciting times, Zad. Yes, uh, definitely. Um, and yeah, I encourage people to watch that Gary Marcus podcast. I mean, they're, they're, he's asking for a lot. I mean, if you look at what has happened in the last year, uh, there has been actual progress. Um, I mean, you and I have we'll talked see. about this before, and I think Gary would would agree. What happened when ChatGPT GPT four was released shocked the world, and right. and and I and I think Gary's honest and say it shocked him. It shocked certainly shocked. Him. I didn't would not have believed this was. I would not have believed we'd have systems that you'd re carry on reasonable conversations with. Mm-hmm. And sure, hallucinations, and there's a big debate over whether hallucinations are an intrinsic feature of the system or something that people could work out. You get those, you get these occasional unnatural responses, but man, it's, it's so impressive. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can, you can find places where it's not and that uh, where there are clearly limits to the sense in which anyone can claim it understands things. Um, but, uh, and of course some people say it doesn't understand things at all. And that's a whole, uh, the one yep. thing Gary and I argued about, but, um, but yeah, but look, it's early day. It's been less than a year since ChatGPT4 was released and five yeah. will be released this year. And if you just stopped progress right now and let these capabilities filter through the business community and the social community, you would see big change for a year or two to come. I mean, yeah. I, I just would not worry about things moving too slowly. Um, we'll see. Uh, so what else? Um, Biden? Yeah, uh, yeah, Biden, uh, getting older, apparently. Uh, <laughs> it is sad. Is, I mean, is, you, as, as he would say, God bless. That's good for him to getting older. That's I mean, better, I, better an alternative. I've been, I've been warning about this since before the last election. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, he, he got through with it. Well, he's not through it yet. And obviously some people would say he's already to a point where maybe he shouldn't be president, but. Uh, in any event, uh, people have probably heard everything I have to say about it. What's your take? Well, the the most recent thing, and I got this through um, Eric Hole, who's a, a, a neuroscientist who has a, a wonderful Substack, which is far more popular than Small Potatoes, and um, and he's a very sharp guy. And he um, he had this critique of a New York Times article that was something titled something. It began with the words, "I am a neuroscientist," and and I said, "And I'm going to tell you a bit about aging and everything," right. and. I, 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 and a whole is merciless in his attack on this, and I think justifiably so. So the I am a neuroscientist article says, you know, again, I know the science of aging. And let me tell you something. Um, 
Not everybody ages the same way, which is true. There may be super agers who don't, um, who don't have cognitive aging at all. And it was so much framed as this desperate attempt to say, no, no, don't worry, Biden's cognitive capacities aren't going badly. And Hull points out, there's no evidence that super agers exist. There are people who perform fairly well at cognitive tasks at 70 or 80, but those are a tiny minority. And those mm-hmm. are probably people who were extraordinary at 30 or 40. Well, plus the guy, the examples he cites as these, you know, people who are, as he says, I think the line is at the top of their game are like, you know, who are, yeah. even though they're like late 70s or 80s, like Paul McCartney. Um, you tell me, when was the last Paul McCartney song that you, that you liked? I mean, so he's had Paul McCartney, uh, Harrison Ford, Jane Fonda, and Martin Scorsese. And I, now, I could give him Martin Scorsese. I haven't seen the latest, but he's he's done some pretty good movies pretty recently. Yeah. You know, and and the thing is, so I, I, I think here's here's the best defense I could give about Biden and Biden's age, which is there are real worries. Sometimes when you get old, you get dementia. Mm-hmm. And and that's a serious problem that would render you unfit for any any job like president or most jobs. But the typical profile of aging is you just get slower, your, your abilities diminish, you have word finding problems, da, da, da. and it starts at about 30, right. you know, may, maybe, maybe a bit earlier. So, and, and it just gradually gets worse. And there's no, there's no exception. It's just like, um, like upper body strength, ability to recover from injury. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. When you get older, it just, it just gets worse. But the defense is that, you know, Biden isn't an air traffic controller. He does not depend on splits. It's not clear he ever needs to do split second decisions, like literally split second decisions. I just thought of a premise for a Saturday Night Live sketch, but, but go uh, but, ahead. Yeah, Biden is air traffic controller, but go ahead. You know, he's he, he, he's not, you know, he's he, he's not an MMA fighter. He's not, he's, he's, he's in a job that you could surround yourself with smart advisors. And maybe mm-hmm. somebody could argue that, that there's a dimin- plainly diminishing of cognitive capacities. There's also experience. Yeah. Um, maybe something one could call wisdom. A certain, a certain um, a leveling out of emotional extremes. And I think everybody, anybody has to admit it'd be better if Biden were 50 or 60. Or even tr- and Trump fans would have to say the same about Trump. It's not clear that, that, that the cognitive decline is such a deal breaker. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, 60% of my concern, and, and there are 70, and the reason I've been sounding the alarm is not so much about his performance as president, although I'm really not optimistic about how that would be working three or four years from now, but about whether he can win the election because I don't yeah. want Trump to win. And I'd rather have a yeah. Democrat who can win. And I have no doubt that, well, I have a little doubt that on the age front, there's going to seem to be a big contrast, partly because of levels of energy and verbal quickness. I mean, who knows? You know, drugs can do amazing things. And who knows which of these guys is on which drug at any given time. Uh, I mean, John Kennedy was on, I think, amphetamines for uh, and various other things. By the way, I have a revisionist. I have a revision of my previous view on the JFK assassination. I'm, I'm less sure that there 
that there was more than one shooter than I was last time. We'll talk about that maybe in the overtime section. Maybe in, maybe in overtime. I have a radical new theory of the JFK assassination. This could be the thing that that uh, ensures me enduring fame long after I'm gone. Is I, have what, a, I have a talking to Alex Jones feeling right now. No, no. no. <laughs> don't, don't I'm, moving away. I'm moving a little bit away from Alex Jones territory. Uh, I have a radical... Well, we'll get into that. But... Um, uh, so JFK painkillers, painkillers, amphetamines, drugs. Who knows? But my concern is Biden will just lose the election. Um, yeah, there's something. There, there, there's two levels of unfairness here. First thing, Trump, whatever his many, many, many manifest flaws, conveys a degree of high energy because he, he is extraordinarily energetic person. He, he yeah. seems to be you know, literally tireless. He, he yeah. sleeps a few hours each night that's full of energy. And his style of bombast and bullshit is such that that it's sort of immune from cognitive decline. You know, he got uh, Nikki Haley. <laughs> he, and Nancy. Was, he wasn't finishing his sentences in the first place. That's right. And nobody was, expects that. It was gibberish to start with. Right. You know, he gets Nikki Haley and, and Nancy Pelosi confused for an extended period of time. Then there's another reason. I did it on purpose. Right. I don't know why people, I don't know why the media doesn't get this. I'm being, and it, the crowd goes wild. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's so, that's one aspect of unfairness. The other aspect is more structural, which is, it's truly bizarre that we select presidents to a tremendous extent based on, say, debating skills. Yeah, which is a skill set which is as as quite distant from the on the job demands. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to be quick witted and 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 smart and and excellent for put down and so on in order to run a country. You could be you could be slow, deliberative, fairly inarticulate. It's just it, it, it's separate, but that is that is how he's going to be judged. For people are saying, I think correctly, he has to put himself out there to reassure people, and people are also saying again correctly that any error he makes, and he's yeah. old, he's gonna he's gonna stumble on words, he's gonna fa he's gonna have word finding problems, yeah. he's gonna you know, he's well, gonna, I he's gonna find, get mad. I couldn't fault. find sumo wrestler, you know, twenty minutes ago. No, you sat. You said samurai. Samurai warrior, wrestler. Wrestler. Samurai wrestler. You want me in the Oval Office? In, in the comments, you, somebody, by the way, no, never mind. Um, it'd be interesting. Yeah, the, uh, the, the blob, the blob would never stand for it. <laughs> it's safe to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I will say, I haven't seen the signs. I mean, Reagan supposedly in the final couple of years was really, really yes. in dementia, and they just yes. didn't show him to the public. I haven't seen that in Biden. On the other hand, I got to say, I find it alarming that they didn't, they turned down an opportunity to do the Super Bowl interview. Okay. Yeah. That's offered to presidents. I take it it's usually a pretty softball interview. That's weird. That's weird because he needs it. It's not like he's ahead in the polls. If he were ahead in the polls, the, the ideal strategy would for him to hide so he right. doesn't make a gaffe and then this goes through. He's not, he has to take the chance. But maybe this the, the the worry is that he will come off badly, and so there's a cost benefit analysis where if he does well, that's great. But if but if he messes it up, it could be fatal. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh well. Uh, so should we quickly talk about this uh, self-immolation thing? Um, yeah, I'm interested in what you think we of get that. Philosophical. So, well, first of all. Um, uh, this, 
Yeah, okay. So first of all, a U.S. airman, a serviceman, um, walked to the Israeli embassy. And as he was walking, somebody was filming him and he was saying, I'm about to engage in an act of extreme protest or something. He was very calm, didn't seem crazy. And then he fell silent for a while as he finished the walk. And um, he, you know, he, he poured some stuff over himself, lit uh, lit himself on fire and yelled, free Palestine, free Palestine, as he was burning. And then just starts screaming in pain and then tries to yell free Palestine one more time. And he mentioned on the walk up, he said, it's an act of extreme. I think he used genocide or something. He described what he was going to protest about. Um, and uh, by the way, it turns out this is uh, uh, in December uh, at the Israeli embassy or consulate in Atlanta. A woman who still has not been identified immolated herself. In that case, there was a Palestinian flag. This guy was this guy was like Caucasian, uh, uh, not of any Arab or uh, uh, you know Muslim uh, heritage. And in fact, uh, this is well. First, let me say the question that that became interesting to me is you know an argument broke out on Twitter. Was he just mentally ill? And of course, the people saying he was just mentally ill tend to be people on one side yeah. of this whole issue ideologically. Uh, and the people who were saying, no, he's a, a hero of conscience, of course, were on the the other side. And, you know, I kind of thought, well, wait a second, the people who are saying he's mentally ill, were they saying that about the Arab street vendor who triggered the Arab Spring? And, you know, I was thinking, I don't remember this whole argument then. And the reason is, you know, in America, it's like when you hear that somebody's protesting against an Arab dictator, it's not a very large uh, contingent that's like against that. So I didn't I didn't hear a lot of accusations of mental illness in that case. And I started thinking about this whole thing, uh, this whole question. And I was wondering whether you as a as a noted psychologist have a take on this question. I mean, it's, it's a deep question because it gets into the question of what mental illness is which is a matter of a lot of debate by philosophers mm -hmm. and by clinical psychologists. And um, I guess one, one, one way to frame it is that one criteria for mental illness is you're not doing well. You're not doing well in society. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you, know, you, you, can't, you can't hold a job. Your relationships fall apart. You're miserable. And somebody who, um, who kills themselves for, for the political cause... And, you know, at, at, at first blush, it's a very maladaptive thing to do. It's a very damaging thing to do. To, to, and, and so, so you say, well, there has to be something wrong with that person. And then I guess the next question is, well, what if they're doing very well at a moral, to, at a moral cause? Somebody who gives their life to save thousands of people. And people have given their life, saved their friends, saved their family. Um, we don't think of mentally ill. We think, mm -hmm. we think, what a wonderful person, what a brave, courageous person. A soldier who jumps on a grenade, we don't think, man, if only he had proper psychiatric you know, advice. We give him the Medal of Honor. We give him the Medal of Honor. So the question is, does this fall into this category? And I, I'm tempted to think, no. Putting aside whatever the, the, the value of the cause, no, because I don't think this is going to in any way speed up the idea of a ceasefire. It's not going to persuade, it's not going to change Israeli policy. It's not going to change U.S. policy. I think, I think it's considered this bizarre curiosity. So, so if you judge it by its sort of anticipated results, this wasn't a smart move. And so you have but, to wonder But isn't why the question whether he thought 
I mean, if a soldier yes. jumps on a hand grenade and then for some reason everyone in his platoon dies anyway, That's you right. still give him the Medal of Honor, right? So the question is, what did he think? But if he thought, if I do this, this will end the war in Gaza, then mm -hmm. the problem then gets pushed back. Why did he have such a foolish view? Because mm -hmm. if, if you ask me ahead of time, said, if somebody sets himself on fire in front of Israeli embassy, is that going to stop the war? Is that going to have a big event? I say, no. He's going to be considered this, this crazy act. Um, and, and so I would then think, I then push the, push the pathology into whatever failure of reasoning led to this. So yeah, I, I, do think, I do think that there's something psychologically wrong in that. I think, I think that, that the, the case, so I'm not saying that all acts of this sort are wrong, but the acts are, are mentally ill. But, but um, the ones that I'm tempted to think could come from a healthy mind are one where there's a, there's a, there's a good moral goal and there's, and there's a reasonable, rational assumption that I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to lose my life. But reasonably, this is all going to help me sustain the goal. I'm going to save, I'm going to save my family. I'm going to save my, my, my fellow soldiers. I'm going to end the war. And I don't see that here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't know, there's a long history of this kind of thing. And I think yeah. in some cases it is thought, it is, it is depicted as part of a healthy and ultimately successful protest movement. I mean, the Tunisian fruit vendor does seem to have triggered yep. the Arab Spring. And, yeah. and uh, whether, you know, whether it would have been triggered anyway is another question. Um, I think it also matters like, well, what is what was this person like? I mean, there there yes. are people who have done things like this who I'm sure were by any definition obviously mentally ill. You know, that's just everyone would have said, "Oh yeah, I know him. He was mentally ill." Uh, now, I actually looked into this guy's background, and it's kind of interesting. He was raised in this uh, like intense uh, religious community in Cape Cod called the Community of Jesus. And it was started in the 60s by these two women uh, who were Episcopalian, actually. They weren't like, you know, uh, Pentecostals or something. Uh, but, so they weren't evangelicals as classically defined. But it became, I guess, a pretty intense thing. They got together with a bunch of uh, women and, and vowed celibacy. But then families began moving in who had kids. And anyway, just on the home page of this community of Jesus thing, which still exists, uh, I saw that uh, this is like the third paragraph. So this is uh, pretty uh, prominent. Um, and it says, a central theme began to weave its way through their message, crystallized in the words of Jesus, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then they say, this is no longer in quotes, that was biblical scripture, uh, dying to one's own life. Surrendering one's own plans, goals, and selfish desires, they discovered, was the requisite pathway to living for God and others and lay at the heart of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But paradoxically, this was also the way to joy, peace, and love. Now, they didn't mean suicide, but yeah. it, it sounds like maybe. And I should also say that this guy left the community and I'll, I think was no longer happy with it, but I don't know whether he disavowed his uh, religious commitment or what but but this kind of message you know if you're if it's drummed into you as a kid that this isn't about you you know you have to be willing to sacrifice everything for what you believe that could encourage a person to do something like this now again i assume uh 
in some sense or another, his life was not going swimmingly in by standard metrics. Like if he had, you know, if he had was in, uh, I don't know, was he in a stable romantic relationship? Yeah. He doesn't seem to have been married and so on. But still, uh, I, I think, I mean, I think this is all looking into this kind of thing is should be part of the assessment process. If, if you're, you know, uh, no, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I would, I was all sort of pre-register prediction that if you look, when they look into this guy's life, he will have a, a history of psychological problems. He will not, he will not sort of show what we would view as a healthy, productive life. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's impossible for somebody who, had, who has stable, loving relationships and rewarding work to do this sort of thing, but I think it's very unlikely. But I also agree. So, so one out you could always have for saying, look, it's not mental illnesses. If this is what the community does, you think about all the things people do in the service of religious belief, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ritual scarification, fasting, and so on. And if people did this and there's no religious tradition behind it, you say, that's nuts. You know, you just, it's just bizarre. Right. But if there's a culture behind it that encourages that, then a perfectly healthy mind will adopt those things. So to, to oversimplify what you're saying, if he's raised with this ethos that this is the best thing you can do, then he could mm -hmm. have a healthy psychological processes and then just think this is what you should do. Yeah. The, um, and, and another question, does it matter if you believe in an afterlife? Does that mean, well, it's not really irrational. I don't know yeah. if he did. I assume the, the uh, Tunisian fruit vendor did. Um, and then there's the famous Buddhist monk who immolated himself in Vietnam. There were probably more than one, but the famous one that was reported on, Picture who, by the way, magazine, did, I guess. did not flinch. If you want to hear about the power of meditation, yeah. did not flinch through the whole thing. Um, uh, it's making me want to go on a, on a silent retreat because, you know, I, I, flinch, well, I flinch at the dentist's office. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I actually, I mean, you, I mean, I am not comparing myself to anyone of any actual significance, but just as an experiment at a retreat, I, I as it happened, I developed an abscessed tooth. And, uh, and so uh, liquid caused me great pain. And you can, in a retreat, you can get to a point where, you know, I, so I meditated for half an hour and then just bathed the tooth in this liquid. And it was an interesting thing. I wouldn't say it was kind of vacillating between like observing the pain and almost seeing it as beautiful. It had this kind of grandeur about it. Um, and then going, I, oh, yeah, that hurts. But it, it was uh, it definitely completely changed my perspective on it. I read you. You. I think you wrote the story in, in your Why Buddhism is True I did. book. And, um, and I am such in a different space that I found it actively unpleasant to read the story. Well, I know a guy who, and this maybe inspired the experiment, who went to the dentist and was getting, and just decided, I mean, he's a very serious meditator and has done research in this. He just decided uh, to forego the Novocaine, just drill away and I'll just watch the pain. Like that I don't do. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, quickly. Uh, so it, what, yeah, I would just say that whatever we answer with regard to this guy, it's going to be the same answer with suicide bombers. Uh, because the structure of the well, question doesn't this guy change. Didn't if you take wait, out a, this guy didn't kill anyone else. It doesn't. It, but the question stays the same, which is uh, somebody, somebody who kills themselves and kills innocent people. Um, 
is that necessarily an act of mental illness? Or could it be, you say, well, innocent people die, but innocent people do die in war. And, um, and if it serves this greater good, I think exactly the same questions well, arise. Well, th then does it arise, uh, two other cases come to mind. Uh, the Hamas attack on Israel, where they chose to kill civilians, and what Israel's doing now, where they uh, know damn well a certain number of civilians are going to die. They deny targeting them, but even if they don't, any any kind of case where you know there will be a certain amount of collateral damage and civilians were, will die, but you're saying it's justified, are, are, is that comparable to suicide bombing? I don't think it's so obvious that it's not, personally, but... Uh, but uh, but I, I mean, more, the Hamas I you're, thing you're, is more obviously comparable. Yeah. The Hamas attack, maybe, but I, I'm not sure that upon anyway. Go ahead. I, I see what you're saying, but at, at at a sort of higher level, what's the difference between yeah. a suicide bomber versus a politician who orders a certain attack to happen? Um, and morally, there's the same cost-benefit questions. I just think psychologically, and I'm not making a moral judgment. But when you do things, sort of you're sitting in a committee in, in, in a conference room and making a decision, mm -hmm. you can do dumb and cruel decisions. But because the stakes to yourself are not so enormously high, a self-destructive decision doesn't necessarily manifest, doesn't, doesn't give rise to thoughts, oh, wow, you're crazy. Like, so you may not like- Well, sure, like, but like, I, like, I'm oh, distinguishing oh, between self-destructive and killing others. Yeah. And I'm saying that this guy didn't kill anyone. No, I, I think he, I mean, uh, you know, I don't but, mean that means he wasn't mentally ill, but it, I think he's on a higher moral plane than a whole lot of people because he didn't hurt anybody else. Uh, yeah. So what do you think? Well, I think, you know, mental illness, it's almost a question of, of definition. And, you know, you can say, well, was he classically mentally ill? We kind of agree on that, what that means. And we don't yet know enough about him uh, to say that. Uh, had he been in and out of treatment? And then, um, you know, I, I think there's a version of, uh, I think there's a version of this kind of self-sacrifice that um, I would definitely say, is not mentally ill and and you could argue reflects a certain kind of yeah heroic self-sacrifice and enlightenment uh, i don't know what category i'd put this in i don't know i don't know enough about him um but i admire people who 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 sacrifice for a good cause uh you know short of self-immolation and I guess in a certain sense, it's not obvious to me. If they believe, and, and even if you want to do the full-on full thought experiment, let's suppose it's true. He could really make an impact by doing this and ultimately save 5,000 lives in Gaza. Let's just do that thought experiment. Then is he crazy or is he, um, if he even believes that, I'm not sure I'd say he's crazy, but. I guess I'd, I'd wonder whether the answer could be both. So. It, it could be something is a transcendently great thing to do. It's just a wonderful thing to do. And you can think of other examples. You can think of people who give away all their money, you know, mm -hmm. give away all their money and li live in total poverty and, and, and help others that way. You could say this is a wonderful thing to do. It does suggest that the psychological functioning isn't normal. It's not normal. It's not normal. Yeah, but you wouldn't say it's just abnorm abnormal. Yeah, wonderful yeah. Is, is by yeah. definition abnormal. Yeah, but but maybe not illness. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to know. I'd have to know more about about this case.
I guess I'm just swayed by the fact that I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. And if he thought, if he thought otherwise, then there in itself is a problem of reasoning. Yeah, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. It's funny. I was thinking it might make more of a difference if he had done it in front of the White House because Biden is actually feeling political pressure on this. And I think that's pushing yeah. him to push for ceasefire. Uh, and I personally think it would have been more politically powerful if he'd done it right in front of the White House. That may be. It, it hasn't gotten as much coverage as I think it would have. Um, yeah, that may be. But um, the, uh, so this is actually kind of related to the movie Harvey, which we're not going to discuss now, but uh, I'm encouraging you to watch the Jimmy Stewart. I know Stewart Jimmy movie. Stewart and the Rabbit. So I, yeah. but I'm looking, I'm, I've never seen it and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Among the many issues raised are what is mental illness. Uh, uh, it's not the, it's not the central issue by any means, but uh, you've said at some point you'll watch that. And at some point we may discuss it. Uh, I'm very interested. I'm very interested in the question. I mean, this comes up a bit where people who are very enthusiastically diagnosing Trump as having some sort of mental illness, mm-hmm. maybe narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder or something like that. And in fact, every president sooner or later gets diagnosed by somebody as having psychopathy. Certainly Clinton did and, you know, so on. And some of the ways it's just a political tool to smear your enemies. But, but suppose it's true that, that Trump meets some characteristics of mental illness. Still, he is... By, by many measures, an immensely successful person. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, he got the job that, that is probably the most, one of the most prestigious jobs in the world. Say, you can't say that for most of the shrinks who are, who are calling him names. So does that mean you could do well in life but have a mental illness? And if so, what makes an illness? Yeah. Those are, those are, are once I see Harvey, I'm the better positioned to answer those questions. Yeah, I guess the pragmatic version of the question is, is what we're calling his mental illness, uh, like, say, the narcissism, something that would lead him to, as president, do a very bad job of serving America's and the world's interests? Uh, I mean, that's what I mainly care about. I mean, you know, narcissism, like many of these things, and this is kind of an Evsyke perspective, lots of mental illnesses are basically normal human tendencies with the knob, you know, turned up to 11, you know, depression, you know, sadness is normal and functional. Uh, Unipolar depression is, is not. Um, And so on. There's, there's a big debate in psychology, a very interesting debate, which is, are these disorders we like major depression, OCD, schizophrenia, um, are they separate things like getting COVID? Like getting cancer, mm-hmm. or are they just these things lie in a continuum? And at a certain point, we say too much. So it's like saying you have high blood pressure, or mm-hmm. somebody's are obese, or whatever. It's just at a certain point you just say, "Here's the cutoff." We we say that that's troublesome, right? And but this but the proper psychological theory says it's a continuum, not a separate thing, and. I think it's interesting. I think some things are like that and some things aren't. I think depression is like that. I, I think unipolar depression is, is like that, which is some sadness is good. Too much sadness, we call it an illness. Mm-hmm. And it's a social question where you draw the cut. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, other things like bipolar depression probably are just their own separate disease. They're not an extension of normal functioning. Um, pedophilia, pedophilic desires are not, you know, it's not like everybody is attracted to eight-year-olds to some extent. 
And if you're too attracted, we say you have a problem. No, it's its own separate thing. Right. I used to think schizophrenia was an example of something which is its own separate thing, like cancer. Mm. Um, a friend of mine who's, who, who's a shrink was telling me there's a lot of data suggesting that schizophrenia itself lies in a continuum, which is just sort of schizotypical individuals who are sort of florid and kind of a little bit unmoored from reality. And then you just get too much. It falls into schizophrenia. Mm. Yeah, well, there's also the fact that you can induce some symptoms, you know, that are somewhat reminiscent of that through drugs, including and, recreational and, and drugs. Amphetamine psychosis is like schizophrenia. You know, even, even some psychedelics, I think, uh, you know, give you some some features of it. But so, um, Paul, we've reached the part of the conversation where uh, there was a controversy recently raised by a commenter. Did, should I describe the paywall as going up or coming down? If it's a wall, I guess it goes up, right? If it was a curtain, it would come down. That's right. Um, we could discuss we'll, that. We'll discuss that the behind paywall. the paywall. Yeah, behind after, the paywall. Behind That'll the work. paywall. We'll discuss that. Um, and also, I've been advised not to be that crass about it and call it a paywall and say that it's available to paid subscribers of the non-zero newsletter. I should say it's available to like, what what is it? Like, I don't know, members or premium subscribers or something. What do you think? It's, yeah, it's, I wouldn't call it a paywall at all. It's just a different space we're moving to. It's, it's a just, different, it's a liminal, <laughs> we're, we're going to pass through a liminal space. Yeah, and some people can, if they choose to, come with us and uh -huh. others will stay behind. And that's uh -huh. totally up to them. Yeah. Because why should a person want deep philosophical insight and spiritual fulfillment, which is what awaits them behind the paywall? And, right? and excellent gossip. And excellent, and right. And trash talk about Gary Marcus. No, no you wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's within my power to provide some. They, well, there may be some. I will, just, I will listen. I will you defend. being Paul Bloom will go, listen, he, like the rest of humankind, is among my friends and I have nothing bad to say. We're, That's we're what I'm God's for. Children. I'm for the trash talk. Okay. Um, we all, yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, we are not yet to the point where Small Potatoes has paid subscribers. Is that right? Because you're too I busy keep, to, I, with your jihad on the smaller Small Potatoes. What, what, a, what a wonderful term to describe my, my, my response to a, to a, a rabbi right. who is a small, who grows potatoes. Right. But that's, that's what I need. Um, but that's what you're uh, doing. I haven't done the... Here's why I, I got to say, I, 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 I'm thinking of having a paid tier uh -huh. because I'd like the money. I mean, there's no other reason to want to pay. We're tier. not supposed to be that crass. Yeah, but, um, but, and I'm happy to do all sorts of things. Advise me here. Mm -hmm. Writing is, is for me enjoyable, but hard. And, and if I have a paid level, there's going to be much fewer people there. Why? I, I, I would frustrate me to write something that's that that I, I can't distribute to anybody I want. It's not like that, that these are gems, but I, I, I want people to read my stuff. So how do I deal with that? Folks, the answer to Paul's question lies behind the paywall. We thank everyone who's uh this is what this is what the pros do. They fade out I'm the so audio right when and so did you kill her? And then the audio fades out. And so we will find out. Uh, the answer to that question and many other, many other things, uh, uh, in overtime, but thanks to everyone who has stayed with us this far, whether or not you're staying with us the rest of the way, uh, also rate and review, smash the like button and so on. 
Uh, and like us on Apple Podcasts. And and that too. Uh, and uh, now we head into overtime.